Gonzaga's first NCAA tournament game is just around the corner. Here who I think is the most important Zag for a deep NCAA tournament run and which teams are the ideal matchup for the Zags in the West region right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag Athletics. Today is a delayed Mailbag Monday. We're doing it on Tuesday, so we could, of course, focus on the results of Selection Sunday for Monday's show and, of course, give you all an opportunity to get some questions in that are NCAA tournament specific. We're going to answer listener-submitted questions in the first two segments. We're going to close out the show talking to Zach Farmer, the host of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast, longtime St. Mary's fan. We're going to talk a little bit about the Gales draw, what it means for the Zags, all of that good stuff. If you want to participate in Mailbag Monday in the future, there are multiple ways you can do so. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Andy Patton, CBB. Whenever you are thinking of a question, you can email me at andypatton013 at gmail.com as well. All right, let's get right into it. This first question here comes from Austin via Gmail. Austin says, Timmy and Strother obviously need to put together some great games in the big dance to make a deep run. Who else needs to have level performances to keep this team going? Yes, so just to be clear, a couple of these questions were asked a while ago. I think this one is about two weeks old, so I'm trying to kind of clear out the backlog of questions and find ones that are still relevant. Uh, I talked about this on Friday's episode, so for those of you who may have missed it, I think the biggest player, the most important player for Gonzaga outside of Timmy and Strother is Nolan Hickman. And Friday's show goes into it in a little bit more detail, but quite honestly, I I think it's fairly simple. Guard play is critical in March. It's beyond crucial. Look at Gonzaga's two NCAA tournament national champion runner-ups. 2017, they had Nigel Williams-Goss and Josh Perkins. They started two point guards on that game. Yes, the front court with Karnowski and Jonathan Williams and Zach Collins and Killian Tilly was a critical part uh, of how they succeeded, but they don't make it there without those two point guards doing what they did. Fast forward 2021. Jalen Suggs, Andrew Nembhard. The Zags, that team was great from the get-go. They didn't lose a game until Baylor, but the team took another level when they replaced Anton Watson with Andrew Nembhard in the starting lineup. That really catapulted that team to greatness. This year's team doesn't have that kind of guard talent, and it's not a knock on the current guys as much as Jalen Suggs, Nigel Williams, Goss, Josh Perkins, and Andrew Nembhard are four of the best point guards to come through Gonzaga basketball's history. But for this team to make a similar run, Nolan Hickman is going to need to step up. Guard play and outside shooting. Nolan Hickman's been a 39% three-point shooter over the last few weeks of the season. He has been a dead-eye sniper from beyond the arc. And if he can continue to do that while not turning the ball over, facilitating the offense the way that he has over the last few months, this team's going to be in a really good spot uh, to keep to make a deep run out of that three seed in the West region. Next question here comes from Aaron via Gmail. Aaron says, between the two 11 seeds in the play-in game, who would be a more difficult matchup if they get through? So you have Gonzaga, of course, facing off against Grand Canyon in the first round. They will play the winner of the six versus 11. The six seed is TCU. The 11 seed will be the winner of a play-in game between the Sun Devils of Arizona State and the Nevada Wolf Pack. I will be quite honest. Neither of these teams frightened me all that much. There's a reason that they were the last two teams into the field of 68. They were squarely on the bubble 
Arizona State has a has a good looking record. They didn't play a particularly challenging non conference schedule. They have nice wins. They have a win over Creighton. They have a win over Arizona. Those are two teams that would make me nervous were Gonzaga to face them. But that's kind of it for their resume. I think this is a fun matchup for the record because two of the best players on Arizona State's team, Warren Washington and Desmond Cambridge, both transferred from. Nevada. So it's kind of a fun matchup for those two teams to get to face off against each other. I don't see either team beating TCU, even though TCU is going to be missing starting center Eddie Lampkin, who left the team for personal reasons last week and has now officially entered the transfer portal. I think if Gonzaga beats Grand Canyon, they're very, very likely going to play Texas Christian in the second round. If I had to pick one of these two teams, I would rather play Nevada, which means I think Arizona State's a little bit more dangerous. But quite frankly, I think the Zags would advance past either of those two teams. Next question comes from Peter at PeterVan80 on Twitter, who says, does the relatively early finish of the WCC tournament hurt Gonzaga as opposed to tournaments that stretch into the weekend before March Madness? Yeah, this is a question that kind of crops up every single year, and I, I understand why. I, it's a long gap between the end of the WCC tournament and the start of Selection Sunday and, of course, the actual first games Gonzaga will play on March 17th. I think that's, if my math is correct, it's a nine-day gap between their final game of the WCC tournament and their first game in the NCAA tournament. But the Zags have also made seven straight Sweet 16s. They have won the first two games they have played in the NCAA tournament seven years in a row. It's hard for me to look at that and think that that long gap is affecting them. Yes, they lose in the Sweet 16, or they lose in the Elite Eight, or they've lost in the national championship game. Those losses at that point, I just, you can't attribute a loss in the Sweet. You can't, like last year when they lost to Arkansas, that wasn't because they had a long gap. And I know that that's not what this question is, is implying necessarily, but I just don't think that it's relevant. If Gonzaga continually struggled in their first game, if that was like a regular occurrence, then I think maybe this conversation would be a little bit louder. Maybe we'd have more of a discussion about it. But for me, the fact that they haven't really struggled, I mean, St. Mary's won their first game last year by like 25 points or something. Like, I just don't think this is really impacting those WCC teams all of that much. Next question here comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, is there a better environment than what happens when Las Vegas hosts the men's and women's conference tourneys for the WCC Pac-12 Mountain West and the WAC in a nine-day period? I've been down to Vegas for the conference tourneys a couple times, and it's pretty awesome. It's not great for my liver. I'm going to tell you that right now. But the emergence of Las Vegas as a premier sports destination has been fun to see. It's, it's naturally made sense. You know, I'm not going to get into the whole history of Las Vegas. I'm not informed enough to be able to do so. But as we saw Vegas go from like the traditional Sin City kind of moniker that it's always had to trying to be a little bit more family friendly in the 90s and 2000s to now being this like sports mecca. Of course, the rise of sports gambling has has had a, a profound impact on that and the ability to do so. But the WCC was ahead of their time making this decision. Shout out to Gloria Navarez, who was a catalyst for that happening and helped make the WCC tournament happen in a neutral site in the Orleans arena in Las Vegas. You've seen other conferences follow suit. I think it's an absolute blast. I had fun at WCC games. I had fun at PAC 12 games. I had fun at WAC games this last week. Uh, and I know that many of you did the same. And, and I think it's cool to continue to see that happening uh, as Vegas continues to become a, uh, like I said, a premier sports destination. Final question here of the first segment comes from Austin via Gmail. Austin says, the 1-2-2 defense that we saw against St. Mary's was super effective. Didn't see it against Chicago State, which isn't really surprising. But do you think we could see that more consistently in the big dance? Yeah, this question came in before the WCC Tournament Championship, where we, of course, saw that press again. St. Mary's was a little bit better at breaking the press in that game, but certainly not better at 
pretty much anything else in that game. In terms of this specific press, I'm inclined to say no. I think that this press was kind of designed to be implemented specifically against St. Mary's. St. Mary's is the kind of team that wasn't going to try to beat the press by going and getting a quick bucket. So Mark Few and the staff kind of knew that they could put this pressure on, occasionally get some turnovers, you know, speed up Aiden Mahaney and Logan Johnson. And if they beat it, that they would just kind of settle into their offense. Unless Gonzaga faces a team that they think will react similarly, I don't think that they're going to implement it. Maybe they'll do it like out of a timeout or they'll kind of, you know, if they're in a close game and and they have the opportunity to say, hey, you know, if we make this free throw, throw the one, two, two on and throw them out of the rhythm. Like, I, I think they should do that. And I think we will see that. But in terms of implementing it on a regular basis throughout a game, I'd be fairly surprised if we saw that happen uh, in the NCAA tournament. Well, more listeners submitted questions coming your way, including talk about Malachi Smith's status for next year and predictions around the West region. All that coming up after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because new customers get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Maybe you like DeMontis Sabonis to keep putting up huge numbers for the Sacramento Kings. Maybe you want to make an exclusive bet like Corey Kispert hitting two threes in the first three minutes of the Washington Wizards' next game. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss a chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, segment two, still any patents, still locked on Zags. I want to thank all of you for making the Locked On Zags podcast your first listen of the day. Go ahead and grab your bracket and bracket, excuse me, and go listen to the Locked On College Basketball Bracket Breakdown. National analysis and insights from local experts. That's me and Isaac Shade. We had so much fun on this bracket breakdown, previewing every single game taking place in March Madness. Grab your bracket, listen to the show, make your picks, agree with us, disagree with us, whatever it may be. It was a fantastic show, and I hope you all take the opportunity to go check it out. It's available wherever you get podcasts on the Locked On College Basketball YouTube channel as well. All right, next question here in the second segment comes from Jake at Jake underscore 45 underscore on Twitter, who says, what are your thoughts on automatic qualifiers playing in the first four versus going to the first round? So, yeah, this is kind of a a topic that comes up every year around this time. And and I've changed my tune on this, and I hope many other people will change their tune on this as well, because I think the knee-jerk reaction is to feel like it's a bad draw for those 16 seeds to have to play into their spot in the NCAA tournament. And I fully understand that belief. I understand looking at the bracket and thinking, well, all of the play-in games should be those 11 seed games, the Arizona State-Nevada game, the Pitt-Mississippi State game, et cetera. We should have more of those. And those 16 seeds who won their conference should get an automatic bid. Well, here's the deal. They do. They do get an automatic bid. Those play-in games count. They count as NCAA tournament games. More importantly, from a financial perspective, they count. And what I mean by that is, most of these 16 teams are not going to be to one seed. It has happened one time. It is not likely going to happen again for a very long time. You never know, but it is rare. Rare is an understatement for what it is. But if you win a play-in game, 
if you're Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, and I believe it's uh, Southeast Missouri State, those two teams are playing each other for a play-in game for the opportunity to play Purdue. Neither of those teams are going to beat Purdue, but one of them is going to beat each other. And what happens when they beat each other is they get money. They get money from the NCAA. They get a, a share of TV revenue, all that stuff. And it goes, it's split across the conference. This is part of the thing that Mark Few and the Zags negotiated to get a bigger cut of that financial pie from the WCC because they were like, hey, we're the team that keeps making all these NCAA tournament runs. We want more of the money. So for those small conferences that aren't high research institutions, they don't have a lot of money coming in. They're not bankrolled. Winning those games is critical. It makes them a lot of money. It makes their whole conference a lot of money. So I absolutely think that this is okay. I think it's a better financial situation for small market schools that don't have a lot of opportunities to make significant money from their athletic departments. So I think this is a good thing. And I I understand the aesthetic thought of like, well, they deserve to be in. They shouldn't have to play in to get their spot. I get that. I had that thought process. Many of you probably have or have had that thought process. But knowing what I know about how this works from a financial perspective, I think it's a good thing that they get an opportunity to win a game because they're probably not going to upset a one seed. Next question here comes from Austin via Gmail. Austin says, who is your dark horse in the West? Who is it that you could see ruining a lot of brackets? Austin, you picked the one region. I know why, of course, it's the Gonzaga region, but I already filled out my bracket. The West region is the one region that I have chalk. No upsets. In the first round, every single higher seed, even the eighth seed, every single higher seed is winning in my first pass. So I don't see a lot of potential upsets here in the West region. If we do get one, I think it's going to be VCU. 12-5, always the trendy upset pick. St. Mary's obviously a team that is coming off of a pretty disastrous performance against the Zags in the WCC tournament. VCU is a very, very good defensive team. They're not a great offensive team. There's some similarities in terms of their net and Ken Palm rankings. Just Ken Palm in terms of their offense and defense, I should say. But... VCU does it very differently. They're much more pressure defense. They try to get you to cause turnovers. They don't do the same. They don't play defense the same way as St. Mary's. I think they could upset the Gales. I think they could frustrate them. And I think they're a team that if they were to do that, they might give UConn some hell in the second round as well. So VCU is my most likely pick to do it. Having said that, my bracket on the West region, completely chalk. Next question here comes from Kyle at KWSES. On Twitter, he asks a few different questions all at once. I'll take them one by one. Does Florida Atlantic have the horses to beat Purdue in the round of 32? What do you think of Marquette being historically one of the weakest two seeds ever and Missouri or Utah State? All right, one by one here. First of all, I think Memphis is going to beat Florida Atlantic. That is the 8-9 matchup in that region. So 8-seed Memphis, 9-seed Florida Atlantic, winner plays Purdue. But I think Memphis is going to beat Purdue. I honestly do. Uh, Purdue has proven recently that they really, really struggle with pressure. When you put pressure on their opposing guards, they they struggle. And Zach Eady can do a lot of things. He cannot do everything. I think Memphis advances past Florida Atlantic, and I have Memphis moving into the Sweet 16. Having said that, if Florida Atlanta beat Florida Atlantic beat Memphis, I think they also have the ability to beat Purdue. I'm not sure that I would make that prediction necessarily, but I think that they're absolutely capable of doing it. Purdue feels like the most vulnerable one seed to me, and I think there's a very real chance that they do not make it to the Sweet 16. Next question, Marquette being historically one of the weakest two seeds ever. Look, I think Marquette deserved to be a two seed. I understand the net rankings and Ken Palm have them 12th. 12th in theory should be the last three seed that those rankings is not exactly the the perfect science, nor should they be taken as the perfect science. But I can understand seeing Marquette in that position and seeing them get a two seed 
maybe has rankled some people, uh, ruffled some feathers, whatever it may be. Shaka Smart is one of the best offensive teams in the entire country. The Big East was really, really good this year, rolling through the Big East tournament. Yes, the Xavier win doesn't look as good because they were missing their big man, Zach Fremantle. But to me, I think Xavier, excuse me, I think Marquette deserves to be a two seed. I think where they were seeded is fine. Does that mean I think they're impervious to getting upset? Absolutely not. Could totally see them getting upset in an earlier round game. I don't think Vermont's necessarily going to take them down. I'm also not super confident in either Michigan State or USC to pull off an early upset against the Golden Eagles, but I don't have any issue with this team being a two seed. Final question, Missouri or Utah State? Yeah, give me the Aggies. Utah State top 20 team in the net, and they got a 10 seed to face Missouri. I'd be pissed if I was a Tigers fan and I was Missouri and I saw myself getting a seven seed, having to face a really dangerous, good 10 seeded Utah State team, FanDuel has Utah State as the favorites. They're the favorites in that game as a 10 seed. And I think they're going to win. Next question here comes from Austin via Gmail. Austin says, Malachi Smith on the Gonzaga roster shows up as a junior, but he participated in senior night. What am I missing? I do not know why Malachi Smith shows up as a junior on the roster. By all accounts, he is not a junior. He is a senior. I don't know from an academic perspective how many credits he has, perhaps that that has something to do with it. I don't know. But he he does have an extra year of eligibility. He is not. It's not like Rasir Bolton, where Rasir Bolton is done, done. The last game Gonzaga plays this year will be the last game Rasir Bolton plays in college. That is definitive. That is not true of Malachi Smith. Whether he's a senior, junior, academically, any of that doesn't really matter to me. What I know is that he has one year of eligibility remaining. And I think for another year or two, we kind of have to just think about it like that way because so many kids have this extra year of eligibility that junior, senior, it's just, it's kind of messy. It's a little chaotic right now. Transfer portal will eventually kind of slow down a little bit. The COVID years will, will, will eventually players won't have COVID years anymore. Uh, we're getting closer and closer to that point. Uh, but for right now, Malachi Smith, whether he's academically a junior or senior, doesn't matter to me. He has another year he could use to come back to Gonzaga. Will he? That's a really good question. One that I don't have an answer to. A lot of people are assuming that he will. I think it would be awesome. If he did, I think he could step into a starting role alongside Hunter Silas and Nolan Hickman. Kind of a three-guard starting lineup would be very, very fun for the Zags next year. But I'm not sure what's in his head, what he's thinking, what he, what decisions he's going to make after this year. Next question here, final, final question of Mailbag Monday. This one comes from Tammy on Facebook. She says, did St. Mary score the fewest points in a WCC championship game? If not, who did? I'll be honest, I got this question and I was like, yes, that's a really fun question. I'm excited to answer it. We, of course, didn't do Mailbag Monday last week, so I brought it back for today. And then I was disappointed. I was sad when I had to look up the answer because the answer is no. St. Mary's has the second, tied for the second fewest points scored in a WCC championship game. The Gales scored 51 points. They also scored 51 points exactly 10 years ago in 2013 when they lost to the Zags in the championship game. But that is the second lowest total, the lowest total 47 points scored by the Gonzaga Bulldogs in 2019 against the St. Mary's Gales. I remember that game. I was at that game. It was distressing. It was not fun to watch. Gonzaga couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. And that, dating back to 1987 when the WCC tournament first began, that 47 points by the Zags is the lowest total point scored in an NCAA, or excuse me, in a WCC tournament championship game. Well, a handful of you, including Kyle and Mike on Twitter and Austin via Gmail, had questions about St. Mary's. Here to help answer those is Zach Farmer of the WCC Hoops podcast coming up right after this.
All right, closing out the show today, joined by Zach Farmer. Zach is the host of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast, a longtime St. Mary's fan. We're going to talk here about the other WCC team in the region for the Zags in the West region. Of course, they are headed all the way out to Albany, New York. Another opportunity for the Gales to get some miles on their flights as they end up traveling quite a lot. Let's start talking about the fact that the Gales did get a five seed. I think there was some potential concern that they might drop a little bit after that loss to Gonzaga in the, in the WCC tournament championship. Uh, were you surprised to see them still end up on the five line uh, after that? A little bit. I was yeah. I was expecting them to be dropped to a six seed. I was half expecting mm-hmm. that. I was, I was almost kind of starting to think uh, about the possibility of Denver. Joe Lenardi um, had yeah. St. Mary's as a six seed as late as Sunday morning. So like that was fully what I was expecting to start to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but sound but it seems like the committee really had already like St. Mary's firmly as a five, uh, despite despite the loss to Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. Uh, so pleasant surprise for it to be a five. Just a rough way to start it out with it being a cross country trip yeah. uh, to New York. Yeah, and uh, I think a tough matchup too uh, against VCU. You know, five twelve upsets are are, are common. They're often the the what people select, and you can see the the reasoning that people might pick a VCU team who is 58th in the Ken Palm rankings, won the A10. The A10 is always rarely a one bid league, although it was this year. Typically, some of Dayton or St. Louis or somebody like that ends up in the tournament. VCU, according to Ken Palm, 17th in the country in defensive efficiency. Now they are not a particularly good offensive team. It's kind of a, a, a unique matchup against the St. Mary's team that is obviously even better defensively ninth in the country, but also much, much better from an offensive efficiency perspective, going to Albany, playing a team like VCU. What's the, what's the temperature right now? How are we feeling as Gales fans? How do we feel about this potential matchup? And, and, and how do you kind of think uh, St. Mary's is going to attack this VCU team? I, I would say like there was definitely some apprehension when we mm-hmm. saw uh, VCU and rightfully yeah. so, because again, to your point, this is a very good defensive team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they turn, they turn you over at yeah. a really high rate. So this, this is a, this is a VCU team that plays really good defense, but they play it in a very different way from yeah. the way St. Mary's does. And I think yeah. that's the interesting part. Yeah. You could say like, Oh, both great defensive teams. St. Mary's does it by kind of basically staying in front of you and making you take yeah. tough stuff, uh, tough shots mm-hmm. vcu is going to uh be a little bit more risk-taking they're going to try to force turnovers they're going to try to use that to fuel the offense mm-hmm. and as i was thinking about this like this is a smaller vcu is a smaller team so i could see mm-hmm. there's i almost read it as a couple of different ways it's like this could be a mitchell saxon game this could be a game where he completely can dominate the low post because there's not a whole lot of help on the yeah. vcu front but then this also if this starts to get a little bit more up pace, a little bit more up tempo, this could be a game where you see a bit more of Josh Jefferson. And we saw mm-hmm. uh, just the how well he's played over the last few weeks. He's had really good. He had really good minutes against Gonzaga uh, mm-hmm. in both of the last two matchups. Um, I know, like like there were some like he had some turnovers, or whatever else, yeah. but uh, like he's a true freshman. Like I kind of like mm-hmm. I do like the the good that does come with some of the bad um, yeah. on his front right now. But I, but I think that this is, they need to kind of get back to what, what works for them because something that we saw on the offensive side for St. Mary's is that they, they've kind of gotten out of sorts and maybe this is them playing Gonzaga who knows them mm-hmm. so well, who has kind of like 
the personnel who can actually disrupt what they run. Yeah. Uh, not every team has that. And not every team is going to be able to do that or have the mm-hmm. athletes or whatnot. I think we need to see a little bit more composure from an Aiden Mahaney. I think he kind of got out of that a little bit in yeah. the last few games, the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think we need to see Kyle Bowen really kind of like step up and uh, really kind of be that more of an offensive threat than we've seen over the last few weeks. It almost kind of seems mm-hmm. that like defenses have started to kind of almost treat it as a four on five at times yeah. because he has been at times unwilling to shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a concern. So he has to be willing to really um, hit, hit at least like one or two of those threes that we usually, that we've seen in the past uh, to be a somewhat of an offensive threat. And I also think defensively, they need to stay tighter together. They, they got a little bit out of themselves um, against Gonzaga. Uh, they stay mm-hmm. a little bit tighter against BYU, but uh, yeah, a little tighter on the defense and get back to what you know you are good at offensively. Agreed. And, and I think for St. Mary's, like you kind of touched on it already. And I think you kind of already answered the question of like, who's going to step up offensively? Because Logan Johnson had like... A, I, I, I was going to jokingly say half of St. Mary's points against Gonzaga, but it wasn't even that far off from being half of, of, of their points. No. Like that was, that was pretty close. And uh, Aiden Mahaney, you know, obviously he's an integral part of what they do on both ends of the floor, uh, specifically on offense. But to me, yeah, like Kyle Bowen not taking shots. And, and I sat in the St. Mary's section of that game, um, that championship game. And uh, boy, howdy, the St. Mary's fans had some words for Kyle Bowen not taking some shots that I thought uh, he, he was open for. And so it's a it's a sentiment shared by your fan base, I can tell you that. Uh, and I, I think if Bowen can hit some outside shots, stretch the defense a little bit, that gives Mitchell Saxon a little bit more room to operate down low. It feels like that's kind of a potential recipe for St. Mary's to advance here. And if they do advance, they either get to play UConn or the Iona Rick Patinos, excuse me, the Iona Gales, um, potential <laughs> matchup there. Uh, if, if Rick Patino's team can pull the upset there, I'm not expecting that. I think uh, more than likely you end up with a St. Mary's UConn second round matchup. Uh, obviously, the priority for Randy Betta and his team right now uh, is finding a way to advance past uh, VCU. But how would you feel about a potential UConn matchup? Do you feel like there's there's an opportunity there? That That's a, a tough team that was, you know, ranked number one for a while this season. Uh, what, what does that matchup potentially look like to you? It is a, it is a matchup on paper that kind of gate that I was a little nervous again. Like, I think St. Mary's ended up with a really tough draw, no matter how yeah, uh, this definitely. all broke out. Like, the fact they got VCU and then also potential UConn. Like, that was like, this is, a, and Kansas on the other side, it's like, so it's a rough, rough, uh, uh, side of the bracket for for the Gales to be on, but I was also mm-hmm. starting to just dig a little bit deeper in the UConn and just the fact that like yeah they've won six out of the last seven. They this was a team that in January February uh, like December January we're talking about as a potential national champion and mm-hmm. all of that, but they haven't done well against some of the better teams even in their own league. They're two they were only two and five against Marquette Creighton yeah. and uh, Xavier. So this is. This a UConn, This is a UConn team that has struggled a little bit more against the better teams, mm-hmm. and so that at least it kind of gives me like a sliver of hope that like sure. that maybe UConn just does that they're they're good they're obviously a very good team but they do struggle against better teams, yeah. and so that's something I think that's just starting to kind of like be in on even though like they it does seem like they've started to kind of right the ship a little bit. Yeah having one game or one day to prepare for a team like St. Mary's is never easy. I think that's a, a big advantage for the Gales because they play such a unique style of basketball. Last question, Zach, because I know you got to get out of here. There is the possibility 
of a Gonzaga St. Mary's matchup in the NCAA tournament. It could take place in Las Vegas. It would require a pretty significant upset for the Gales, not only over UConn, they would have to beat Kansas in order to make this happen, assuming that Kansas is who they play. Uh, you never know. I suppose there, there could be a, a different matchup there, but how likely do you think that this is and how hard is Randy Bennett's team going to work because they, you, you know they want a rematch against the Zags in Vegas? For a rematch in Vegas, I th- I mean, I'm not going to say it's a good chance. I'm going to say there's at least, obviously, there's always a chance that always this matchup does end up happening. I probably say it's probably closer to like 5 to 10%. Mm-hmm. 5 to 10%, I think, is the chance of it actually happening. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot has to go St. Mary's way, I think. I think it would be really helpful if uh, Eric Musselman could go ahead and <laughs> knock off Kansas uh, there you go. Uh, in round two. I think that would mm-hmm. actually be really helpful, although yeah. – Although I don't know if face it, Eric Musselman is that much yeah. better <laughs> uh, in the tournament. We know like the success he's had uh, mm-hmm. in the NCAA tournament, especially over the last few years. So a uh, five to 10% chance. I think we see the rematch. I do, or like in the event it's happening, I already have booked a flight back to Vegas for, for that Good weekend. Choice. So we will see what actually happens. <laughs> Zach Farmer, host of the unofficial WCC hoops podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Good luck to the Gales. Would love to see that rematch again. Not thinking it's super likely, but hey, how much fun would that be? Thanks again for coming on the show. (laughs) Thanks for having me.